Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hi, Connor. Hey, Brittany. So today I want to talk about a man who is not only an incredible writer, but he's a personal hero of mine. His name is Viktor Frankl. And he wrote a book called A Man's Search for Meeting, or Meaning, not Meeting, A Man's Search for Meaning. And he wrote it right after he was freed from a Nazi concentration camp right when World War II ended. And his experiences in the camp were just horrific, as horrific as you can imagine, you know, being thrown into a, a concentration camp could be. But he learned some really important life lessons that he wanted to share with the world. And he didn't want to wait. And, and I think this, this part just kind of amazed me because you have to imagine all the things he was going through and trying to process. But just a few months after he was released, he sat down and in nine straight days, he finished this book that he's become a bestseller. It sold, uh, I, I can't remember the exact number. It's like several, several million uh, copies. So amazing book. So Frankel saw the very worst side of humanity. He saw just how awful people could be. You know, the Holocaust in general was really terrible. And it it showed us how evil people can be, or, or rather what, what evil things people are capable of doing. But in that camp is where he started to believe that um, – you know, the meaning of life was to actually find meaning and purpose in life. So what does that mean? We're going to talk about it today. So first, I'm curious, Connor, have you ever read the book? I have read the book, and I'm actually reading it with my son right now. Because, really? Yeah. I, I, it's been a long time since I read it. I recall and know the lessons that are in there, but it's been a while since. It's one thing to know, like, the message. It's another thing to spend time with the words and the stories yep. and really immerse yourself in it. And uh, and I feel like it's a message that my son is kind of prepared to to hear about right now. And so we're actually uh, we just recently started going through the book together. That's funny. And I had no idea of that because I, I picked this topic today. So that's funny. It's <laughs> funny how those things work. All right. So I want to talk about the book. Uh, so the first lesson I want, I want to talk about five lessons I think we can really learn from this book. Okay. So the first one. No matter what happens to you, you get to control your attitude. And I love this. So the Holocaust stripped people away of their dignity in, in every way you can imagine to find them, right? They were their clothes were taken away. Their hair was cut off, whether you were boy or girl. You lost your hair. You lost all your possessions. You lost your name. You were just a number. So you lost literally everything. But even though that might seem like you have nothing left at that point, the one thing they could not take away from, from the people living in those camps was the ability to choose how they acted. And I think this is so important because I know that there are so many times, and I work on this every single day, where something bad will happen and I'll think, well, like, okay, well, I'm allowed to be in a bad mood. I'm allowed to be you know, mean to this person checking, checking me out at Whole Foods or whatever because I'm in a grumpy mood. And then you think, okay, we can't control what happens to us. Bad things are going to happen to us. But it's really empowering to think that the one thing, like your superpower really as a person, is that you have the power to control how you act after something happens. So that one, just that first lesson to me is, is really important. And I'll, I'll kick it to you, Connor, for, for the next one. Sure. So the second one is that there's always going to be suffering in our lives, right? I mean, that, that's part of the human condition. Uh, there's problems, there's challenges, right? It's always going to be there. What matters is what we do with it, how we respond to it. We can't make it go away. We can't make it so there will never be suffering, right? Our lives are determined by what we do in response. So here's a, a brief quote from the book. If there is a meaning in life at all, then there must be a meaning in suffering. 
suffering is an eradicable part of life, even as fate and death. In other words, it's like a integral or, or necessary uh, connected part of life, even as fate and death. Without suffering and death, human life cannot be complete. I recently was watching um, the Orville, which is a kind of a show like Star Trek, you know, about space and so forth. And there's a ro robot in there, just like, I guess, you know, Star Trek, the next generation. In that case, it's data. In this case, it was uh, Isaac. And, you know, he can't feel emotions. He can't, uh, you know, he's not going to die. He doesn't experience suffering. And, and so a lot of the uh, the, the characters are, you know, they're contrasting their human experience against this robot that just can't experience these things. Being human means to suffer. We, we have an end to our life that gives meaning in the sense that it's like this idea of memento mori, like always remember keeping in mind that, you know, you will die because it makes you ideally find enrichment in every single day. Like I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. So I should take advantage of today and live in a way that I want to really, you know, live my life intentionally. Yes, there will be suffering. Uh, I'm going to be remembered at some point. How am I going to be remembered? It's part of my human life. And so I need to focus on how I conduct myself, even though there are problems, even though there are challenges. You read these stories of like, I read a, a story the other day, this like seven-year-old kid with cancer, horrible Thing to go through for anyone, let alone a seven-year-old. And this kid never complained. He never said, why me? You know, he was caring for other kids and, you know, trying to make jokes to make other kids feel happy. And he had just this cheerful disposition. That is a kid where I'm like, I want to be like that kid, right? Th those are the types of people that inspire us and motivate us that even amid suffering, they decide to make good decisions. They decide to, you know, live well. Uh, another brief quote, the way in which a man accepts his fate and all the suffering it entails, the way in which he takes up his cross gives him ample opportunity, even under the most difficult circumstances to add a deeper meaning to his life. So the idea is like, yeah, okay, you go to work, you buy your groceries, you come home, you watch TV, what, like, where's the meaning in that? But when we have challenges, when we go through adversity, and we have to make decisions about that. How are we going to act? Are we going to be grumpy? Are we going to be negative? Are we going to lash out at other people? Right? Or are we going to rise above our suffering, stop complaining, and with the cards that we've been dealt in life, decide to strengthen ourselves, decide to rise above it? Right? Those are the people that you can see are, that are, find deep meaning in life, that even though they suffer, even though they have challenges, they recognize that life is meant to be enjoyed, that they can learn lessons along the way. They can teach other people lessons about how they choose to behave. So suffering is a necessary part of what we're doing. Of all people, Viktor Frankl knew that. He's in a concentration camp. Yeah. People are dying left and right, right? But he was still able to find meaning in spite of that suffering. I think that's just a, such a great lesson. And with that, Brittany, I'll kick it over to you for the third one. Yeah. So the third one is that purpose matters. So we'll dive into this a little bit. You know, when you find yourself in a situation that's as horrible as a Holocaust, it, it was almost essential for you to have something to get you through. Maybe that was thinking about your family. You know, maybe it was thinking about you You have to survive this day because you have to make it back to your your son or your daughter or your wife. You had to have something bigger than you to carry you through dark times. And that's that's applicable not just to the Holocaust. I think that's good for anything, right? You have to have that thing that keeps you going. 
And, you know, Frankel in the book, he talks about prisoners who who did hold on for their families. And some of them held on for projects they hadn't finished yet, like this unfinished business that they kept saying, all right, well, when I'm out, I'm going to, you know, go back on this. I'm going to finish this book. I'm going to do this or that. But um, not every prisoner had that mindset. And so I'm going to read a quote from him now. The prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spirit to hold, um, or his spiritual hold, excuse me. He let himself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. So what does this mean? So basically, the prisoners that had something to live for, the ones that were saying, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here and I'm going to write that book, or I have to stay alive for my family no matter how hard it is, they had that bigger thing. But there were so many people that just lost their faith in anything. And I'll be honest, like, and Connor, I'm sure you probably relate, like, if you were in those circumstances, I think it would be really hard not to lose your faith in everything. Oh, yeah. You are around, right? You're around the worst possible, you know, sides of humanity and just terrible things. You're watching people die every day. Of course, you'd feel really bad and you'd start to think, okay, I'm not going to make it. But it was that mindset that made people, it, it almost uh, like was another death sentence, right? Because if they didn't have that thing to hold on to, then they were surely going to decay, as he says, both physically and mentally. There's actually an interesting thing he mentions in the book that the death rates actually uh, skyrocketed around holidays, and mm. he think it's because people just lost so much hope because that they were, you know, the situation they're in during the holiday season when they should have been with with their families and whatnot, that he be- he attributes that rise in death to to the mindset of people not having something to hold on for of getting too sad. So I thought that was really interesting. My mom is an estate planning attorney, which means she deals with wills and uh, and things like that. And so she often has old clients who are near death and they're trying to get their legal paperwork in order to make sure that all their you know, assets will be passed on the way that they want to. And uh, she has commented about that several times about how uh, she has a lot more work to do around the holidays because that's when more people are you know, passing away. So I think there's definitely uh, something to that where you know, we're social creatures and you have to have that hope and that social connection. And when you lose that and you give up that hope, that that has a huge impact, I think, on our bodies. You see of, you know, elderly people where, you know, the husband dies one day and then the wife will just die like three days later. Right. Like it's kind of like, oh, I was living with this person and now I have lost that. So I'm ready to go. And then your body just kind of gives out because your your mind is not, um, you know, staying with it in that way. So it's very interesting. All right. Number four. So this one is, uh, you know, that the true test of our character is revealed in how we act, not what we say, not what we believe, right? The true test of our character is revealed in how we act. So Viktor Frankl, he believed that life is testing each of us, this suffering, this sacrifice, and we are shaped and become the people we're based on our individual experiences and relationships and circumstances. And so it's it's our actions, the the decisions that we make. It's how we behave. It's what we do that determines how we pass the test or if we pass the test. So here's this uh, quote that he wrote. We needed to stop asking about the meaning of life and instead think of ourselves as those who were being questioned by life daily and hourly. Life ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answers to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for each individual. So that's when he, when I, when I say life is testing each of us, that that's what he believed. He, he meant that like every day, these decisions we're making, these actions, right? We're being questioned by life. Are you going to make the right decision today? 
Are you not going to eat the you know cheeseburger you shouldn't? Are you going to stop playing video games for eight hours? Are you going to stop blaming your problems on other people? Is today the day you're going to finally go to the gym? You know, life is there asking us these questions. Are you going to live up to your goals today or are you going to be lazy? And so every day life is asking us that. Are you going to, are you going to act? Are you going to act well? Are you going to, you know, stop complaining about your problems and just roll up your shoulders and move forward? Are you going to choose to be, you know, happy, put a smile on, even though you've got some challenges? So life is testing us each day. It's asking us those questions every hour, right? Every day. And so I really like how he frames it that way. It's not just wondering about the meaning of life and sitting around like, you know, a philosopher (laughs) and, you know, wondering what the meaning is. It's that we're going through a test and every hour we have a decision to make every, you know, few minutes. And it's those decisions, those actions that determine the true test of our character. It's not what we say. It's not this book that we write, you know, or whatever. It's not a podcast. (laughs) It's, it's the decisions that we make that determines who we are. All right, Brittany, number five. I think it could be a podcast, but okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the last thing I want to touch on, and I love this, is um, that human kindness can be found in even the darkest places. So there's a great quote from Mr. Rogers, and it's uh, he, he said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You always find people who are helping. And I think that's, that's what Frankel means because he's talked about how even even in these times where people were starving, I mean, you can't imagine how hungry people in the concentration camps were. But even still, he saw people giving up their last piece of bread to somebody else who needed it more. That even though there was all these terrible things crashing down around them where they're just thinking there is no good left in the world. And here you had some of these prison, you know, uh, I was going to say uh, prison, their rights are prisoners, um, helping each other out. And they had no reason to really do that, right? Like they, there was nothing super great going on in the camps, but there was that human spirit that even in these darkest of times, people were helping each other out. And that's what the Mr. Rogers quote really, really talks about is that bad things happen. And uh, we talked about this when we did an episode about tragedies and when tragedies happen and, and it's really hard for us to process them sometimes. But sometimes the way that I like to do that is to think about all the people who come together after a tragedy and band together and help each other out, right? Because we can't control the bad thing that happened. It already happened. But it's so beautiful to watch people come together afterwards and do all these acts of kindness. So I think that, I mean, especially for somebody who lived through this to come out being positive about the human yeah. spirit, right? Like I, I can imagine getting out of there and just being bitter and thinking there's nothing good in the world. And for him to highlight that, I just think that's such a powerful lesson for us all to learn. Very powerful. And, you know, touching on these five things, decent summary, but certainly not a substitute for reading the book. And so this would be a fantastic book to read as a family in pieces, you know, and just spend time talking about it and, and, you know, discussing some of these ideas and how they can apply in your life, you know, what you can do to model uh, some of the things that he's talking about. Granted, we're not in similar circumstances, thankfully. However, the reason why his book, Man's Search for Meaning, has been so popular is that its lessons are very applicable to our lives, no matter our circumstances. And so highly recommend the book. It's certainly a lesson that we could all uh, stand to learn from in our day in our various kind of lives that we go about so definitely recommend checking out the book man's search for meaning by victor frankel great story great life great lessons and so i'm glad we could talk about it today Brittany, thanks as always and until next time we'll talk to you later talk to you later 
You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.